welcome to day 18 of 31 days of terror and I have three spooky stories for you today and story number one comes from Tara. I emailed previously about an incident where I caught someone speaking in my sleeping app but there is a longer perhaps more interesting story following listening to episodes where people have spoken about similar instances. Since I was a young girl I've always had a follower This person is not someone I can see like you or me in the flesh, but rather I know where they are, some characteristics and what they're doing all the time. This person is an old man, not a grandparent nor anyone I know or knew. He has dark grey curls at the back base of his head and that's all I know. He has always been with me and until I got older I never registered this as unusual. As I grew older, I suffered with ongoing mental health concerns, so I started to ponder whether this man was part of my illness. When I finally reached a diagnosis at 17, I was informed that hallucinations can be part of my illness. Albeit, I only ever suffer from these when I'm extremely low, and even then, they're glimpses and completely different, kind of like shadow people around corners and voices. I began to question this further, when I started feeling overwhelming emotions and feeling other people in other places. Like when I stayed in an old hotel with an ex of mine. I awoke in the middle of the night crying my eyes out and feeling utterly distraught. I kept repeating that there was a young boy in the room who felt so terribly sad. The following years passed in a blur due to ongoing mental health issues. But when I was 19, I sought help from a hypnotherapist for sleep. She heard me speaking about wider issues and referred me to a friend of hers, a retired GP who now practiced her psychic abilities. She said this friend would be able to help me differentiate between what's real and what's not. At that point, I'd only mentioned my mental illness, not my follower or any other similar interactions. So I turned up to the appointment and the woman looked past me and asked, Who's your friend? I turned and there was nobody there and I looked back at her and she said, the old guy. At this point, I had to feel my trousers to check if I'd shit myself. After a long and interesting psychic intervention involving moments where I was speaking to my child self, my body was asleep while my mind wandered. If you've seen the fourth kind, the hypnotherapy there is just like what I had. We began speaking about my aged follower. The psychic insisted his name is Joe. I disagree, I got the feeling that it's not. The psychic explained that when we are born, we supposedly have guardian angels, those who have not passed on, who attach to us for certain reasons. For me, the psychic insisted, Joe was attached to me due to my dad not being around. I hadn't mentioned this to her in any way which is why I never felt like I'd lost out. She said that because I could see him in some way, I should be more open to other spirits. Following my meeting, I returned to my normal routine at the time. During uni, I worked at one of the oldest pubs in town. The pub had an old cellar below the establishment, which had four different rooms. While down there, I'd often get the impression that kids were playing there. I couldn't see them or hear them, Just like how I felt my old follower was here, I just knew. 
Upon returning from the cellar, I spoke to my boss about the psychic meeting and my feelings in the cellar. She turned white. She explained to me that during the late 1800s, the landlord was rolling barrels into the cellar through the chute. Unfortunately, his son and daughter were playing down there and they were crushed by the barrels. She had never told this to me and I had never heard it. Since then, I've experienced other spirits in similar ways. Angry ones, sad ones, some young and some old. I've no explanation for how or why this occurs, but it's definitely odd. And story number two comes from Adriana. I wanted to share a story that has been passed down for generations to my family in Guatemala. Just like how many countries have their own folklore and legends, I wanted to share a legend from Central America of a woman named La Ciguanaba. My father is Mexican and my mom is from Central America, Guatemala, so trust me when I say that both my parents would scare the shit out of my siblings and I, and we grew up with all sorts of legends, family experiences, and their own experiences as well. And I plan to do the same thing with my kids, if I ever have a kid. So anyway, people in Central America claimed that there is this woman called La Ciguanaba. From what I was told, the story goes that she likes to lure men, especially unfaithful men. Why she does this, I'm not quite sure. Maybe someone cheated on her and she's out for revenge. Or maybe simply because they're an easy target for her. I don't know. She's known to be a big flirt. And men are usually attracted to her hourglass figure. And are left curious about her face. Since she tends to hide it. She hides her face. With an umbrella or her long hair. And if you do catch a glimpse of her face. It's believed that she will take your soul. Her face is described to be like the face of a beast. Most people compare it to that of a horse. She also likes to trick men by changing her voice to someone familiar to them. For example, she can call out your name and make her voice sound like your wife's voice, just to get you to turn around and look at her face so she can take your soul. My uncle Ricardo from Guatemala, my mum's oldest brother, had his own experience with La Ciguanaba. He said that one night he went out to a town festival with his friends and after it was over, each of them split in different directions to walk home. He ended up walking home by himself and he said he had to pass through a field of tall grass to get home. When he was halfway down this field, he suddenly heard a woman calling out, Ricardo! Ricardo! And he stopped for a second, then brushed it off and continued to walk. And then he heard his name being called again. But this time he recognised the voice. It was my grandmother's voice. He said that he even heard the person clapping their hands when this name was being called. Which is something my grandmother always did to get someone's attention because she didn't have a very loud voice. So he paused again and was about to turn around expecting to see my grandmother. But he suddenly remembered the story of La Ciguanaba and remembered that it was past midnight, and wondered what the hell my grandmother would be doing out in the middle of a field so late at night. So he didn't turn around, and continued to walk at a faster pace, but he could hear the voice getting closer to him. He also said he remembered that people believe that if you grab this particular straw-like plant that is used to make brooms and pray to the Virgin Mary that it scares her off, 
so he power-walked through this field of tall grass. It was pitch black outside, but he remembered that there was a patch with this plant in the field that he was in. So as he walked, he extended his hands so he could feel for the plant. Mind you, this is all going on while La Siguanaba is getting closer. He began praying for God to help him find a patch with this straw plant, and he did. He got down on his knees and pulled the plant as though pulling on someone's hair with all his strength and began to pray to the Virgin Mary. He claimed that he could hear La Siguanaba screaming like she was in pain when he pulled the plant. And after a couple of seconds... She vanished, and he said he got up from the ground and bolted home. The following day, he met some of his friends that he'd gone out with the previous night and decided to share his experiences with them. He said that maybe two out of his five friends believed him, and the others just laughed at his story and believed it was all bullshit. Their reaction kind of pissed him off because he knew what he had experienced was true. So my uncle remembered that the plant he had pulled on to protect himself from La Siguanaba was pulled off the ground because of how hard he had been pulling on it. So he decided to take his friends to that spot and show them that he wasn't bullshitting. Sure enough, the plant was pulled completely out of the ground. The three friends weren't 100% convinced, but they did find it a bit strange. That's until one of the friends that did believe my uncle from the very beginning pointed out that there was a trail of long, black, coarse hair on the ground and stuck on some of the surrounding plants leading to that spot where they were standing. It wasn't until then that all of his friends believed him. That same uncle also told my family that one of his friends wasn't so lucky. He said that one day after working in the coffee fields, he and his friend Sebastian began to walk their horses to the small village where they lived, but they got tired and it was very hot and humid, so they stopped for a break. And they were just talking, and suddenly they were approached by a woman. My uncle said she had a nice figure and had a very seductive feminine voice. She asked them for a ride home. She said it was very warm, and she'd been walking for a while, and she was very tired. Sebastian agreed to take her home and also began to flirt with her. My uncle said the woman had a very pleasant laugh, but she wouldn't show her face. She had an umbrella held up towards her face, which was not unusual for women to carry around umbrellas on a hot day, so he thought nothing of it. They were from a small farming village, where people would still use horses for transportation. So my uncle, after noticing that Sebastian and the woman seemed to be flirting with each other, he thought he would get out of their way, and hopped on his horse, and said he'd better be on his way or else his wife would begin to worry if he wasn't home before dark. Sebastian helped the mysterious woman up to the horse, she moved her umbrella down, but still she managed to cover most of her face with her hair and her wide-brimmed hat that she wore at an angle, like they did in the 30s to 50s, which was a little outdated if I remember correctly, because this roughly happened in the mid-60s. The woman said and waved goodbye to my uncle, and she and his friend took off in the opposite direction about the same time that my uncle took off. Sebastian didn't show up for work for a few days after that, and my uncle became worried because that was very unlike him. So he decided to go to his friend's house after work and check on him. When he arrived at Sebastian's house, he was greeted by Sebastian's mother. The woman looked distressed and like she hadn't slept for days. She welcomed my uncle in and began to sob uncontrollably. Then my uncle could hear loud shrieks coming from his friend's room. 
so he started making his way to Sebastian's room but was stopped immediately by Sebastian's mother. Before letting my uncle into her son's bedroom, she told him that he had been hallucinating for a few days. But he still had moments of clarity. And during these moments of clarity, he told her that he was being haunted by the devil after giving a mysterious woman a ride a few days ago. My uncle filled her in about what happened that day, and after telling her the encounter they had with this mysterious woman, Sebastian's mother was convinced that the mysterious woman they encountered was La Siguanaba, and her son's behaviour now made perfect sense, because of the way he behaved, is what people have reported experiencing after encountering La Siguanaba. She told my uncle that she would get the local priest to help, and asked the local people to help pray for her son, and asked my uncle to please stay and watch over him, and he agreed to stay. My uncle hesitantly entered Sebastian's room. He claimed that his friend looked like he hadn't eaten or slept in days. He looked grey. His eyes were sunken in, and he had dark circles around his eyes. Sebastian noticed my uncle's presence immediately, and he shakingly made his way towards him and grabbed my uncle's arm. He began to cry a bit in desperation and told him that the woman they met a few days ago led him into an old cemetery and when he helped her off his horse that was when she brushed her hair aside with her hand and he saw her face. He said that she had the face of a beast and it resembled a horse's face and she laughed at him when he reacted in fear after seeing her and she told him in a raspy voice that his soul was hers and that her and her master would be paying him visits until the day he died. My uncle was paralysed in fear. His friend's mom came back with the town priest and several people that she trusted, people that she knew genuinely cared for her and her family, and would not just come out of curiosity. Two of the people she had corralled included my grandparents. They prayed for hours over Sebastian. He screamed and said the devil was there and would not let them save him, and at the same time he would beg, please save him. They did this for around three days, and all this time he wasn't eating and was even being terrorised during his sleep. Until his mom found Sebastian strangled in his room. She found him hanging in his closet with a bedsheet tied around his neck. So after sharing these stories, now you know why I would be scared shitless as a kid hearing my mom and my extended family hearing their experiences but I still liked to listen to them, and I still do. And story number three comes from Kelsey, and this is something completely different and something that we have never done on the podcast before. Kelsey sent in a voice recording of her story rather than writing it all down, and I'm just going to play it. I have contacted her about playing it on the podcast and all that jazz. It's not going to be a regular thing, But I thought, why not? Let's do something different, especially considering I'm recording every single day. It's nice to change things up a little bit. So for this kind of one time thing, we've got somebody else reading a story. So this is Kelsey's story. Uh, Hi, guys. So I wanted to tell you guys this story because it happened to me and my family a couple years ago. And it actually didn't stop, you know, affecting us until after we had moved out the house two years later. Uh, So... To start off, my father's family has lived in this town that we are currently living in, actually, for generations. Uh, My great-grandmother, her mother, my grandmother, my father, and now my generation of the family now lives there. So, 
in a sense, we know the town. The town knows us. You know, family-related things. Uh, well, we were moving a, to a different house in the same town. And it was known to be one of the older, if not one of the oldest, uh, houses in that area and in that town. So we moved in. The day we moved in, we were moving our stuff in and everything else. You know, typical moving in stuff. And the neighbors had actually stopped my father and... Instead of introducing themselves as the neighbors, you know, hi, how are you? Instead, they prompted to tell my father that they would doubt we would stay there for the next three months. This was kind of off-putting to us, considering we just moved in the neighborhood. We haven't even moved in. We haven't been there for a solid day yet. So, when the neighbors were pressed further by my father, they stated that the entire street we lived on believed that the house was haunted because it it had been vacant for about three or four years before we moved in, and everyone who moved in didn't last more than six months. So we were like, whoa, you know, why? That's kind of suspicious. And they told us that, again, the house was haunted, extremely so. Well, my family is a bunch of horror freaks. We're, you know, what they call creepaholics. We were raised on horror movies, you know. We critique them when we watch them. We don't really get a fright anymore from things. So, uh, I mean, it was just... When we were told that the house was haunted, we were like, oh, hey, that's actually really cool. We're going to have this cool experience. We were completely wrong, <laughs> to put to put it shortly. We were completely wrong. So, uh, the first night that we moved in, like in the movies, nothing really happened, um, everything went smoothly, we didn't hear anything go bump in the night or anything, but the day, the next morning after, um, me and my siblings went to school, my father went to work, he worked the typical nine to five hours, and my mom took off for that day so she could unpack the house while everyone was gone to help speed up the moving in process. Uh, well, she was taking a break from what she told us. She was taking a break, and while in her half-asleep state trying to take a nap, uh, she heard someone moving around the house. Well, she was half-asleep, so she didn't think much of it, but then the person had walked up to her and touched her arm. And right before she woke up, she jolted, and they ran for the door, opened, and slammed the front door in an attempt to escape, we think. So, naturally, my mom, she jumps up, uh, runs to the door, tries to open the door to see who ran out, and the door was deadbolted, locked. The deadbolt and the handle. Um, when my mom is home alone, she usually locks the doors that way. So it kind of confused her, but she took it as kind of a half-asleep hallucination, you know? Um, that was the first experience. Well, after we moved into the house, uh, about a month later, you know, we started noticing things. When we got off of school, when I got off of school, I was always the first one home in the afternoon because uh, the high school let out earlier than all the other schools and my mom and dad worked the day shift. So every day I would come home about 3, 3.30 and uh, I had this ritual where I would put my backpack down, go in throughout the entire house and close all the doors and cabinets. Every single day, every single cabinet and door was wide open. Sometimes even the back door when no one was home while the handle was still locked. Wide open. So uh, we kind of thought maybe it was an old house, the air pressure, you know, or maybe it was just tilted a little slightly on the foundation. We didn't know. But every day I would have to come home and every single cabinet in the house on drawers, on uh, dresser tables, 
on, you know, the entertainment center where the TV is, you know, bathroom, kitchen, especially all the doors, everything was open. And my ritual was to go home, put my backpack down and close everything. So after a while of doing this, uh, my family starts to notice that, hey, things are starting to open as well. It's not just me anymore. You know, they're just kind of like, oh, you know, maybe it's just the pressure in the house, like I stated before. Then things started getting a little more strange. When we first moved in, uh, my father cleaned out the attic so we can put our storage up there for, you know, Halloween, Christmas, different things like that. Just, you know, normal storage items. And when he cleaned out the attic, he had found some dolls up there. Now, a lot of these dolls were just teddy bears, you know, an old Raggedy Ann doll, an old Annie doll from the movie in the 70s. But what there was one that really stood out. It was an old, what looked to be handmade uh, Native American doll. She had long, you know, yarn black braids for hair. Her skirt was hand woven into like a more of a Native American pattern. She was handmade. My family being the creepaholics we are, uh, we pulled it out of the attic and I actually ended up keeping it because I thought it was creepy, I thought it was cool, and I put it with my collection of other dolls. Well, after that, things really started to happen, like it was really cranked up. During the summertime, after we pulled this doll out of the attic, uh, my father and I would stay up all night just watching TV together. It got to the point where in that house, I would stay up till, you know, three or four in the morning because, you know, that's just what teenagers do. But it got to the point where I had trained myself that if I didn't go to bed before midnight, I would not go to bed till after 3 a.m. Because every night from 12 to 3 a.m. without fail, we would hear running throughout the attic and running throughout the house. What I mean is we would hear running from, it was more of an open concept house, meaning the back door and the front door were a straight line from each other and the hallway was a middle passage through that line so uh every night between 12 and 3 a.m you would hear running from the back door to the front door from the back door to the front door back door front door and then they'd come into the hallway and they'd stop and then you'd hear them walk out of the hallway and run from the back door to the front door from the back door to the front door all night for three hours straight also, while we hear that, we would hear running in the attic, like little pitter-patters. And at first, we thought we had rats. But um, we had an inspector come. There's no sign of rats, no sign of mice, no signs of any rodents or varmin or anything like that in the, any of the house. It was nice and sealed up. So we didn't know what it was. Well, one night, my father heard the pitter-pattering in the attic, and he got tired of it. So while in the middle of the pitter-pattering, he uh, pulls down the ladder, goes up to the attic, and realizes that all the dolls are in different spots than they were when we first saw them. He thought this was a little strange, but he thought, you know, maybe I just moved it around or something. So the next night, he heard the same thing, did the same thing, and yet again, they were in different places from the night before. This really kick-started the uh, activity in the house. One night, I left for an entire weekend to go to a concert with my friends. I was gone for like three days. I left Friday afternoon, and I wouldn't be back till Sunday night. When I came back, my father was a little shooken up, and he was the man, you know, who didn't, who wasn't really scared of anything. But when he came back, he had swore on his life, literally, that um, he had talked to me in the bathroom. And when I pressed a little further, he told me that while I was gone, he didn't realize it, but while I was gone, he was walking through the house, and he was walking in the hallway, and he saw me in the bathroom brushing my hair in the mirror. 
or something of the like. And he had a whole 10-minute conversation with me in the bathroom. Well, a few hours goes by. He's sitting in on the couch in the living room, and he wonders, Hey, you know, where is my daughter? I haven't seen her. And he looks around the house, and that's when it snaps on him that I had been gone for over a good amount of 24 hours at that time. I wasn't even home, and I wouldn't be home for the next two days. Uh, so it really freaked him out. He could not explain it. So, um, and on top of that, uh, I had a few experiences myself. For instance, one night, uh, or one afternoon, my father took my brother and my sister to the park while I was home alone, and I was doing some chores, you know, getting some dishes done, and the way the house was set up, from the kitchen sink, if you look directly backwards, you can see the uh, front door, because the back door is right next to the kitchen sink, but there was this wall blocking off the rest of the view from the living room, so you could only see the front door. But the couch, um, the walls on the other side, the windows on the wall, you you can see all that. You can only see the front door, and then there was a wall blocking the rest of the uh, living room. Well, one day, he took my brother and sister to the park, and uh, I was doing my chores, trying to get them done for the day. And I had kind of sensed that somebody was in the house. And initially, I thought it was my dad who had came home with my brother and sister, so I started talking to him. And when I realized I wasn't getting responses back, I had turned around and there was this woman in an older looking dress. She had long, long dark hair and she was just standing in front of the door staring straight at me. Uh, It was so vivid. I, to this day, I am not sure if someone had broken to our house or not. It, it, I was convinced someone broke into our house. Uh, She, she stared at me. And then she turned and she walked more towards the couch area, meaning once she walked into that area, I couldn't see her anymore because the wall was blocking that place. I was convinced someone broke into our house and was going to hurt me because the, just the look on her face, it, it didn't mean nice. It didn't mean she was going to play nice, if that makes sense. So I stopped my dishes. I grabbed my cell phone off the counter and I grabbed the biggest night we've had. And I jumped onto the counter and I just waited because if she was going to come at me, there was only one way to, and that was through that doorway that you could see the uh, front door at. So I grabbed the knife, I jumped onto the counter and I waited. Um, When I realized that I couldn't hear anything, I was like, oh no, she's, you know, planning something, you know, premeditated something. So in a hurry, I uh, put down the knife, I had my cell phone on me and I made it to the back door and completely ran out the back i went up to the front yard i called my dad i was crying i was freaking out and i refused to go back into the house until he came home and checked out the place when he came home he tried to open the front door and like my mother does i keep the doors locked when i'm home alone and the door was still locked uh the back door it was unlocked but that was because i had run out of it The windows were fine. They were also locked because it was, uh, you know, more in the summertime and we had the AC blowing, so we didn't open the windows. Everything was secure. There was nothing broken. There was no signs of a break-in at all. So my father just, you know, calmed me down, asked me what happened. I explained to him and, I mean, that was that. There was nothing else we could do about it. While we lived in this house, there was a lot more than that that happened. A lot more. But, um... The key point was a lot of it, you know, voices, the running, uh, the people that we would see, the strange thing that mimicked my um, 
image in the bathroom that my father had a conversation with, a lot of these things we realized were pointing towards the Native, Amer- the Native American uh, kind of history on the land. The town that we live in, it was founded on Native American land. Uh, the school mascot is a Native American, you know, mascot. Um, a lot of people in the town still have Native American descent, you know. So, uh, we kind of figured, hey, maybe this house was built on some land or something that was sacred. We don't know. So, um, I did a bunch of research. I couldn't find the house on Google Maps. When I would Google the, uh, kind of the address on Google Maps or even Google Earth, uh, it would not bring it to the house. It would bring me to my neighbor's house every single time. Uh, you go on Google Maps, you enter the address, it would not bring up our house. It would bring up our neighbor's house, and so would uh, Google Earth. Uh, we went to the library to find, you know, land records, you know, from the house. Uh, we couldn't find any records. There was no, no even evidence that the house even existed in the town from the library. Uh, we asked the landlord who we were renting from at the time if he had any, you know, historic documents or anything on the house. He had nothing as well. Uh, it, it was like no matter where we turned to research this address, this specific plot of land, this specific house, there was nothing even proving that the house existed other than the fact that it was physically right there on the property. It, it was It was crazy. We were taken aback by this. We were like, oh my god, you know, this is this is insane. Uh, well, while we lived in the house, a lot of it tore our family apart. My mom left my dad for an uh, amount of time. My dad got really hooked on drugs and nearly died from said drugs. There was a lot of bad, bad juju in the house, if you know what I mean. We soon moved out. My mom and dad got back together after we moved out, and... After we moved out the house, I kept the doll that we had gotten from the attic. Well, every house we moved into after that, well, we still had this doll for the next two years, uh, was just like the house we lived in. It it didn't change, and my mom, she's very spiritual. Uh, She's very connected in a sense like that, and she realized one day, about a year later, that... uh, About a year after we moved out of the house, she realized that I still had that doll. And she became completely just unhinged. She was certain that this doll was possessed or something was attached to this doll. And everywhere we've taken it with us, it's just making our life worse and worse because of the impact of this doll. At first, I was like, oh, yeah, right, blah, blah, blah. But then things started getting worse in our family. Uh, My grandmother passed away. Suddenly, my brother nearly died on us from a uh, collapsed lung that we didn't even know about for a year. And again, our our household was just being torn apart. It was chaos. It was chaos living in that house. So one day, my mom got on to me again, and I decided with my friend at the time to take the doll. We walked about two miles. You know, we went on a walk, and about two miles away from the house we were living in at that time, we threw the doll in a random dumpster two miles away. And uh, we came back. Well, after that, things started to clear up. Everything was going back to normal. Uh, ironically, everything was going back to normal. And uh, we're, my mom is still convinced it's because of that doll. Hmm. That's not the end of the story, though. <laughs> 
you see, uh, we moved out of that house into a different one because uh, the foundation on the house was cracked. The house, the um, it was rotting. It was it was a really bad house. So we moved out of that one to a different one. And uh, in this house, one day at when I came home from school, my mom went completely unhinged on me again, stating that I lied to her about throwing the doll away. And at the time, I was like, what do you mean I threw that doll away? You know, I threw it in a dumpster. I told you I did after I came home. Uh, Turns out, while she was... At the time, I shared a room with my little sister. And while she was making my sister's bed or putting her clothes on her bed or something like that, uh, she had found in the pile of stuffed animals on my bed the doll in the middle of the stuffed animals. Uh, She became completely creeped out you know, took the doll away from, you know, out of the room and put it in the backyard. That night we had a bonfire in the backyard and she ended up burning the doll. And then there was a huge fight between, um, my father's friend and her were almost escalated to call the police. There was a fist fight. Uh, it was a traumatic, it was horrible. Then about, uh, three months later, my father passed away suddenly in his bedroom where the doll was uh my mom is convinced that that doll ruined our lives that there's something demonic about that doll she tried to get me to bring it back to the house itself to see if it would fix things but I couldn't do that because every time I would pass that house there was a new family living in it and there were little boys and little girls and I couldn't let them get a hold of this doll if it really was doing what it was doing to my family I didn't want them to go through it too To this day, um, we still have not seen the doll. We burned it in a fire, (laughs) so it's not in my stuffed animals. Again, my father had passed away, so there's really nothing much I can say there. Um, He passed away suddenly out of a health condition that we had no idea about that popped up randomly. It was as if it came out of thin air, literally. But to this day, we haven't had any weird experiences. Um, We haven't been to a each other's necks in a chaos um we haven't found the doll and we haven't heard anything since to this day when i still try to find that house i cannot there's no record stating the house even exists when i talk to my mother about the image in the bathroom we believe that it might have been a skinwalker uh we also believe that the doll was um a little native american girl's doll but we're not too sure again there's no history on the house Um, And we also believe that that house was built on what we can only assume was sacred Native American land. Because other, if it's not that, we cannot explain the experiences we had. Thank you so much to Tara, Adriana and Kelsey for sending in your stories. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you would like to send in your own spooky story, you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com and you can also check out our website, reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com and on that note, we shall see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.